Welcome to the XR Atlas podcast, where we, you and I, explore the latest developments in the XR, AI, and metaverse industry, and to also see with various speakers how these technologies are shaping the collective future of the human race. I'm your host, Babatunde Fatai, and I have been passionate about XR and been in the XR ecosystem as an XR software engineer for the past five years. I try my best to work on projects that facilitate the adoption of XR, AI, and metaverse technologies across Africa and around the world. Today, we are joined by an amazing guest, Steve Grobs. Steve is the founder of Victory XR, a platform that allows students to interact and learn on the metaverse. This platform also allows educators to give training in immersive environments while utilizing 3D objects to teach a variety of subjects to students. After founding the company in 2016, Steve led the Victory XR team to win the Global Education Innovation Award of the year 2021. Victory XR offers immersive classrooms and campuses through virtual reality. Recently, Steve, Victory XR and Metaversity has become one of the forefront of the XR industry as schools are adopting this technology more and more to deliver their contents. In this episode, I will be discussing crucial points with Steve on the future of the XR industry and I'll try to gain some insights on how the metaverse is being applied to education and what sort of impact is being seen in that space. So sit back, relax and join us while we delve into the world of XR, metaverse and metaversity. Thank you. Okay, I really took interest in your brand when your brand specifically was quite interesting when I saw it, Victory XR, right? And for this particular session, there are two parts to it. First, the part of getting to know Steve and why Steve actually went towards this dream. And there is also the part of metaversity. We would have a deep dive into the future of learning and schooling in the metaverse. Are you cool with that? Yes, that sounds good. So let's take a deep dive. Welcome to the show, Steve. It is awesome to have you. Thank you very much. Before we jump into anything, can you give a bit of introduction about Steve? Yeah, a bit of introduction about yourself, Steve. Sure. Earlier in my career, I was in politics and I served in the legislature in my home state. And in particular, I served as chair of the education committee and wrote the first technology funding bill. And I did that because I I really felt like this would be a way we could make some significant improvements. And that got got schools connected to the internet. It got computers in schools, but we really didn't move the numbers that much. And so it got me to thinking about how do you really motivate students to learn? You know, some students always learn. They can learn in a row of desks and chairs in a brick building, or they can learn in the metaverse. But other students, uh, they're, they're not so quick to learn and they need a little bit more. They need a little more love in their education. So that's what we uh, try to deliver. And when I moved from politics to entrepreneurship, that's the thought I took with me. Thank you very much for that introduction. I think you've already started introducing Victory XR to an extent. But before we even jump into that, currently, when it comes to the definition of the metaverse, everyone is not aligned in that aspect. So it will be interesting to know your definition of what you think the metaverse is. What do you think the metaverse is, your own personal definition? 
I think the metaverse is a synchronous or group experience in a persistent, meaning always on, always there, graphically created 3D world. So, you know, there's a lot of jargon in there. I tried not to use too much jargon, but essentially I ought to be able to jump into a different world, either completely VR or partially AR and see a world that I wouldn't otherwise experience. And um, I don't think it has to be that every single one of these metaverse worlds are connected. I think someday they will be, there will be a common standard that connects all of them, but I use it. We had a world, physical world, a thousand years ago, maybe 2000 years ago, there was Africa, there was North America, there was Asia, and people really couldn't move between them, but the world still existed. And for the most people, they just stayed in their own little part of the world. Doesn't mean that the world didn't exist. Over time, those parts of the world connected and we could fly or drive or move very easily between those worlds. And all the regions of the world connected. So that's how I view the metaverse. Before you move on, sorry, I wanted to pick on that interesting idea. So what you are saying is, um, the metaverse doesn't have to be one. There can be different pockets of the metaverse and that is okay because many people are thinking until that time comes when everything is one, when the metaverse different platform fuse to become one, that is when the metaverse is achieved. What you are saying is not necessarily so, even with everyone being apart in their own ecosystem, the metaverse still exists in those pockets. Is that what you are saying? Yes, and, and here's the reason why. So first, we begin with technical challenges of connecting all the various metaverses, because there's a lot of them out there. But those technical challenges will be overcome. The real issue is how you overcome the cultural challenges. So think about this. What is Xi Jinping going to think about a metaverse where free speech runs wild? Because in the United States, we're going to participate only in a metaverse where we can say pretty much whatever we want about whoever we want because that's our culture that's our law china they're not going to they're not going to allow that and so uh and and there will be religious differences some countries will not uh, appreciate uh, the religious practices or what people might say about religion in one part of the metaverse so bringing down those walls is more challenging than the technical walls you make a really strong point, Steve. Yes, there's a technical challenge of fusing together different, all different platforms. There are also those key challenges that has to do with the cultural and social impact of fusing them. There are some of us that are dreamers, people that are developers, brands that are pushing the metaverse forward. And there are some of us that actually think, yes, the metaverse has to come together and be one for it to actually qualify to be the metaverse. When I say some of us, I don't mean I fully believe in that, but it is actually a strong point. And I hear your point of there are various challenges of fusing together all different metaverse platforms to become one. And that is a, something we really need to think about as an ecosystem moving forward. So I would say that, look, today you do have people who participate are mostly global citizens, tech forward, et cetera. But that won't be the way it is in five years. In five years, tribes will form. Um, it, it will become 
the evolution of Facebook from the early days when it was mostly college students, that was one Facebook culture. And then everybody joined Facebook and it became a different Facebook culture, one that a lot of people have not appreciated. So I think we'll see the same thing in the metaverse. And those cultural challenges are really, I think, the biggest walls that we'll have to figure out how to bring down if we're to have a truly universal metaverse. Agreed. Can you please introduce VictoryXR to the audience? Sure. Happy to. So VictoryXR is a company whose purpose is to transform education globally in a way that students love to learn. And we'll do it with virtual reality, augmented reality, and the metaverse. So what we primarily do today are two things. One, we build metaversities for colleges and universities around the world so that students who are learning remotely or online can have a more robust experience. They can learn hands-on, kinesthetically, as they say. And then we also sell uh, classroom bundles into high schools and middle schools that uh, give access to content, both synchronous and asynchronous, group and individual content so that you know you can go into a science classroom in a high school and dissect a frog without having to dissect a physical frog you can dissect a virtual reality frog okay okay i, I think we would dive into the grainy details later but can you tell me a bit about your main motivation for creating victory XR? because yes the metaverse is a thing but there are not that many people out there that are thinking the metaverse education, let me go at it. So what was your primary motivation for creating Victory XR? Yeah, my primary motivation, I, I put on a VR headset for the first time in 2015. And, and I, you know, my father is a school teacher and I, of course, have a passion for education. And I thought to myself, wow, this could be an amazing tool to educate students. Most people who put on a headset in 2015 said, wow, this would be a great gaming platform. Well, our two thoughts were really not that far apart because to me, you can make learning a lot more interesting if it's gamified. And that doesn't trivialize learning or it might make it easier, but it doesn't, doesn't make it less robust. So that was my vision. And back then, you know, there really was no such thing as synchronous VR, uh, group VR. It was just a solo experience that you downloaded locally to your computer or headset. And so we, um, that, that we wanted to pursue improving education. Thank you very much for that, Steve. I think gamified learning is one thing that is truly underestimated in our society and virtual reality and metaverse technologies truly help deliver content in a gamified manner in a way that is quickly understood and more relatable to the average student. So if you don't mind me asking, how does VictoryXR work from the student's perspective and from the educator's and school perspective? Let's start with students. So if you are a student and you will use a synchronous example, let's say that you are in high school or college and you're learning anatomy. And so instead of sitting in a row of desks, looking at a book or maybe a video, you enter into a new world. And let's say that you're going to enter into a cadaver lab. And so you and your teacher and fellow students jump into that cadaver lab. And, and now in front of you is this human body lying flat on a table. And your teacher takes her hand, 
plunges in into the chest of the body and pulls out the heart. And now she hands it to, to you as a student. And you can hold that human heart. And when she hands it to you, you feel it. You feel the haptics of when it passes into your hand. And then you can take that heart and begin expanding it until it's 10 foot tall. Then step inside it and learn about the ventricles and the cavities. So for students, it makes comprehension and understanding dramatically easier than otherwise. Uh, and, and this is for all sorts of top uh, subjects. So for example, students can take field trips around the world to Singapore. They can stand on the Great Wall of China. They can see volcanoes in Iceland. Uh, they can see the redwood forests of California. So it really opens up the world to learning and exploration. For educators, it gives educators a way to deliver challenging content in a way that's uh, much more approachable and understandable from the perspective of students. It also gives educators really powerful classroom management tools. So for example, uh, a, a, I was telling my father this, a former teacher, and uh, he looked at me and said, you're, you're pulling my leg. You're kidding me. I said, nope, I'm telling the truth, dad. So I, so teachers can press a button and suddenly every student is seated in their seat. If let's say that you're going to start class with a lecture before taking a field trip to, to China. And then student, then a teacher can press another button and shut everybody up so that the teacher can speak. Teacher speaks then. uh, she releases the students and now they walk into a magic portal. And when they walk through that magic portal, they emerge on, in Singapore at Singapore Gardens. So that's the powerful tool that, uh, or tools that a, an educator has to deliver content. That's quite interesting, Steve. Quick question. How long on an average do students spend on the Metaversity? How do universities structure their curriculum and courses within the Metaverse? Do they take all their courses in a particular department in the Metaverse or they cut out certain specialty to be taken in the Metaverse while some are done physically? I want to understand exactly how schools fit this into their curriculum. Yeah, so... Different schools, colleges, universities do it differently. So some uh, have a daily class that they meet in a virtual reality classroom. Others might have a weekly lab. So for example, you might learn, if you're learning remotely or online, you might learn through Zoom Monday through Thursday, and then Friday you might meet in the chemistry lab. Uh, so, so the beauty of the platform is that there's a lot of flexibility in how you can approach it. And um, right now, there's just a lot of innovation going on by educators around the world, figuring out how best to deliver this content. Well, I think it is also important to point out the benefits of learning in virtual reality and augmented reality, and also with metaverse-related technology. I don't know if you are familiar with PwCC in his Believing Reports. Are you familiar with it? I don't know if I am. Okay, I'll send it to you. So PwC made a research where they surveyed students learning in VR 
and they were trying to determine is it better or not. And from that particular research, they found out that students learn four times faster in VR, or if they are using augmented reality technology, they form more connection with their contents, they are more focused, and costs, especially when you are training a lot of students, actually is more cost effective to learn in VR. So those statistics, I say, really supports Victory XR's drive. So my other thing is, how are you seeing schools signing up? How do you approach um, schools? to How do you sell the idea to them? Because, you know, many people are talking about the metaverse, but you still need to convince them. So how has that journey been? So first of all, my apologies. I am familiar with the PWC study. I didn't quite hear it correctly. So yes, that's a great study. And we, we rely on that in a lot of our uh, work. Second, just to give a sense of the growth, 12 months ago at this time, we had two metaversities, two of our HBCUs in the United States, Morehouse College and Fisk University. And then today we have 40 metaversities. By the end of the year, we expect that number to be 50. So we're moving quickly. Uh, a year from now, we hope that number will be 150. Globally, schools are recognizing that there's an, a, a better way to approach this and that we need to tackle it. So in high school and middle school, primary and secondary, they're growing very quickly as well. So you mentioned a specific word, which was metaversity. Can you talk a bit more about that? A metaversity is the combination of metaverse and university. So what we typically will do, and not in every case, but typically we will build a digital twin of their actual campus. So that means that uh, it's a replica, an exact replica that's a 3D model. And students who might be attending remotely, they can spawn into that campus and walk to class just as if they were physically on the real campus, meet their professor in class and begin engaging in learning. So that's really what a metaversity is at its core, is a place that is dedicated to a particular specific university uh, that has all of the learning classrooms and the 3D models and everything they need to teach the courses that they're already teaching in a brick and mortar class. So if an average university or a representative of a university listening to this wants to up on the metaversity, what sort of things do they have to think about apart from getting in contact with um, Victory XR? What sort of things do they have to think about? Do they have to think about, oh, hardware for our students? Do they have to think about, oh, we need to already have a concept before we approach? Or do they have to think about, oh, um, Victory XR will think through the concept of how to deliver this and things like that? Yeah, we have. So first of all, we have an education and curriculum team that works with universities to help them determine which courses to try first and, and how to port those courses from the physical world into the virtual world. So they need to approach it with an intention to have students engage with a, a metaversity, and then they need to have a plan on which professors and courses they might try out first. From there, we walk them through the hardware because for our Metaversity campus, you can engage with it with a headset, which is the preferred way, but also just through a computer. So if you think about it, if, if your listeners have ever played Call of Duty or Fortnite, those particular games are 3D worlds that you can move around in. 
And so, and they do that through a 2D computer screen. You can do the same thing with our Metaversity campuses and they work wonderfully. So that's, so that's part of the issue with hardware. So um, what I hear you say is you also involve WebXR also in your delivering of um, contents. So is it that you deliver on the web or they have to install an app on their system? Do you deliver the content on the web? We are a company that's been around for a while. So we have developed different platforms. So we start with most of our metaversities are built on the Engage platform, which uh, does require a local download. Uh, for our labs, those are, are not on a particular platform. You download it locally, but then it also streams. So uh, currently it's available for the Quest. It'll be available for other headsets here in the next six months sometime. So that's how our labs are approached. For our dissection content, our animal dissection content for science class, you can consume that through virtual reality or through a Chromebook. There are a lot of Chromebooks in the world and so we have a great Chromebook product that uh, is inexpensive and accessible. Can you speak a bit more about K-12 Education Solutions, one of your services? K-12, yes. I would love to speak about our K-12 content. We have K-12 content that we deliver in two different ways. Uh, the first is through what we call VXR Direct, and that's all asynchronous content. So you're not going to meet in there with other students or a teacher, but we have a lot. And, and that's, that's sort of like a Netflix platform where you pay a small fee and you have unlimited access to all the content. That's really one of our best-selling uh, products, and uh, it's, it's a great solution for schools. And it works on every headset. How are you um, approaching um, the issue of safety and privacy on your platforms? So, because you are dealing a lot with students and you understand, so is there, how are you approaching it as a brand or as a company? Yeah, we approach it in a lot of different ways. First of all, we're GDPR compliant, so that helps. That's a good start. We have gone through a security audit to make sure that we are fairly safe from hackers. There's no guarantees there, but uh, we're certainly... <laughs> of uh, course, of course, of course, there's no guarantee. We've done the due diligence there. And so do the students' the most, data sit with you or does it sit with the university? Do you like, do they grades and things like that? Is it handled by Victory XR or is it handled by university? How are those data handled? Yeah, we, we don't collect student information. That's the biggest thing. So we're not collecting their names and any of that information that, you know, we will need an email address, obviously, to uh, get you hooked up and to communicate. But that could be a parent's email address or uh, the one from the school. So uh, for the most part, if somebody hacked in, they're not really going to capture any personal data about people. OK, thank you very much for that. Um, so. Uh... Now, I think um, I've, I'm almost done with my question on Victory XR, and I, will just, I just have a few more questions. And this time, it will be on your opinion. So currently, there's the I don't think the metaverse it can be classified as an as a hype anymore. Obviously, there's now metaversity. There are a million brands now that are going into the metaverse. It cannot be classified as an hype anymore. But do you think... Um, there will come a time when the hype is going to win 
or you see a trajectory forward, a trajectory that keeps climbing? Because I see a trajectory that keeps climbing, but I want to hear your opinion on the hype surrounding well, the metaverse, if any. Yes, yes. So just a fraction of the world currently engages in, in the metaverse and in the near future, everyone will. And so it will be like the adoption of the mobile. You know, when so many people early on would complain about the kids just looking in their phones. And now I go to social public functions and people 60 years old are staring down at their phones. So uh, it's, it's a, we will see a similar transition. And, and a lot of people say, well, that will never be me. I don't like having one of those headsets on. In the near future, the metaverse will be accessed through your glasses, through your sunglasses, through your reading glasses, whatever the case might be. And so all around you will be an invisible world. And when you put on your glasses, this invisible world will become visible and you can interact with it. So for example, you might be walking down a sidewalk and in front of you, you'll see the sidewalk, you see all the stores that you would normally see, but then you see spinning in front of you is a little currency symbol, maybe a dollar or a euro or whatever the currency is of that country. And when you kick that currency, it'll immediately go into the wallet in your glasses. And that currency then can be spent in a local store. So, uh, or you might say, you might tap the side of your glasses and say, show me where the Babatunde restaurant is. And, uh, and so then you'll see on the sidewalk arrows that take you, that help you with wayfinding. And in, in for education, you will see amazing things. You might see molecules. You might see animals walking around your campus that are extinct. And now you can go and interact with extinct animals. So this is the vision for the metaverse and it will become the new phone. So what you've just described now, that beautiful scene is definitely a future I see for the metaverse. That beautiful scene is also the augmented metaverse. The virtual metaverse exists, the augmented metaverse exists. Now, the, the thing now for me is, how many years do you see that being achieved? Just your guess, your opinion. Do you see it's being achieved in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? Please. Um, I think from, first of all, I think we have scratched 1% of the metaverse future. And I, my guess is that we will see widespread adoption of the AR glasses in five to seven years. We are already working with them and creating content for AR glasses. We'll be rolling that out in 2023. Um, so the VR metaverse will, is here today and expanding rapidly. And uh, we will see widespread adoption between now and 2027. I think within 10 years, the metaverse in different ways will be largely ubiquitous. We'll get to that particular point, but currently there are not that much AR glasses in the market. So which ones are you creating for? Which ones are you looking to create for? Yeah. Which ones are you looking there? Well, we are building currently on the Lenovo A3. Uh, in partnership with T-Mobile and Qualcomm. And we will also begin uh, 
building with the new MetaQuest Pro, which uh, is both a AR glasses and VR. So that's a pretty cool deal. And, um, and then, you know, we're, we're going to start looking at uh, Snap's spectacles as well because they have a lot of momentum. I see. I see. Those are interesting um, um, brands. I, I worry a bit about costs for students. So do you see them being able to afford it? Which was why I asked before that I'm talking to the university about hardware. So what sort of thing are you thinking around that? Yeah. So this is my iPhone. It's an iPhone 12. It cost me 1,200 US dollars. Well, I agree. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'm a business guy. I've got some money. I can afford to buy a $1,200 phone. But you know what? I walk around campus and I see all sorts of college kids, 19 years old, who have the same phone that I have. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but yeah, and then comes the case of convincing them to spend that much. For Believe me, I'm an advocate of VR. I am an advocate. But I, I just I need to ask the question to hear your opinion. Okay, so there, then there comes a time when you have to convince them to spend that much on a VR headset, right? I know that they can afford phones that are 20 times as much, but it's different when it comes to VR. So, so let's say they buy the base phone, you know, for 700, and then they add on the VR headset for 400. Now they're at $1,100. They've spent $100 less than, the, than, than I spent, and they have both, you know, they both uh, an immersive device and a phone. So really, it's not a matter of can they afford it. People's, people on earth figure out to buy things. You know, in, in the United States, we, we have this misunderstanding of Africa. So most Americans think, well, Africa, they don't have a lot of money. They, they can't afford to have mobile phones like, like we can. Well, that's completely untrue, as you know. Everybody in Africa has a phone, and, and it's, a, it's a more robust uh, cell, cellular network than anywhere in the world almost. So uh, the thing that I have noticed is that when it comes to communication, people all over the world figure out a way to pay for the devices they want. This goes all the way back to the days of radio and then black and white TV, and then color TV, and then computers, laptops. It just doesn't matter. People figure out a way. And, and for the poorest, you know, governments and philanthropies usually try to step in and, and help those folks. Well, there is also the other part where the further we go into the future, the less expensive the devices and gadgets actually become. They become smaller, they become compact, yet they also become Remember when the when mobile phones also came out, not everyone could afford it, but now everyone has it. So I think that also applies to the VR headsets. Last comment. Today, much, many of these devices are built by humans. In the very near future, all of these devices will be built by robots, which dramatically drives down the cost of, of device manufacturing. Okay. So a last question for you. Do you think there will come a time where when schooling will move completely to the metaverse? Or do you see this as something where in the far future, it would work hand in hand? Yeah, I think, first of all, uh, different people will learn in different ways. There are some who will learn mostly in person, 
and partially in the metaverse. There are others who will take all of their classes online, which will be a hybrid of 2D and metaverse. You're going to have a combination, and that's the beautiful thing about these technological options. People can find the path that suits them best. And, and for different people, it's different ways. If you are a graduate student nurse and you're working in a hospital in, in a rural area, well, you can't drive back to the city to attend classes in person, but you can pop on your headset and go to class in the metaverse. Mm -hmm. That is actually an awesome use case. Another question for you. Can you predict, because everyone is looking forward to it, but can you predict, do you think there it is next year that Apple would release their long-awaited VR or AR headsets. When do you think they are going to release, if at all? Uh, I think 2023. So you are you are hopeful because I, I the further back we go, people would always say next year, next year, next year. Do you think 2023? You're sure? I think that's the year. Yes. <laughs> okay. Are you looking forward to it? Do you think it will yes. disrupt the ecosystem? I don't know about that. Um, I think part of Apple's challenge is, A, it's going to be very expensive, and B, you know, they, they have to create a better product than Meta does. Meta has a lot more experience creating a great product. So I will be interesting, very interested to see what they roll out with it. And I think maybe part of their challenge, the reason it gets pushed back, is that Apple is known for creating products that change the world. And there's so much innovation in the device space that they're probably struggling to create something that's truly transformative. So if that reason stands, then why do you think next year then? Um, I, I just think they, they've been working on it for so long and they haven't had a, really any new hardware for a while. Um, it's time for them to get back in the innovation game. I suspect they know it and uh, are ready to, to, to move forward. But, you know, what do I know? I don't know much. <laughs> okay. I also look forward to it sincerely. So thank you very much for coming on the show, Steve. Um, thank you very much for sharing Victory XR, Metaversity, and some things with um, the audience. Um, I, I don't know if you have anything to say also. <laughs> Well, Bob Atunde, I appreciate, uh, first of all, you spreading the good word. And um, I look forward to maintaining a relationship for a long time to come. Thank you very much. Um, do have a nice day, Steve. Okay. Thank you. Talk to you Bye. soon. Bye.